If you would, if you're able to, stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. We're going to read portions from Numbers 11. It says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Verse 4, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it into mor- in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses, verse 10, heard the people weeping throughout their clans, each one at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. And then the Lord talks about how he's going to provide for Moses. And we come down to verse, and and for the people, and then we come down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them round the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Father, please do so. Help us to rightly think about you and to think about our relationship with with one another through our faith in your son Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to share with you some, some difficult ministry experiences as we, we talk through some of these, these things about bearing burdens together. 
And some of these ministry experiences are ministry experiences I've had. Some of them are experiences that I've heard that other people have had. And because they're dealing with difficult circumstances, sometimes they involve people not quite at, at their best. And as I share these experiences with you, even if you don't know who these people are, I, I would just encourage us to keep a couple things in mind. First of all, if it's important to remember this. If they had access to a microphone this morning and were sharing some of the stories, their perspective might be different than mine, right? And you might hear a different side of things. And then also, as we hear about people maybe not operating in a way at a moment in time that would optimize the glory of God, I think we need to be very careful. Even if we don't know who is being talked about, just kind of an anonymous person in our mind, I think we just need to be very careful with with uh, judging others. We want to to judge others with the same graciousness that we want to receive because certainly all of us could be used as examples of ways in which people fail to glorify the Lord, right? So I just want to be very careful as I share some of these stories of experiences and difficult ministry experiences and, and maybe people not always operating at the optimum level of God glorifying conduct, right? Well, uh, the first, uh, first story that I was kind of thinking through as I thought about this idea of bearing burdens together was uh, from my own ministry experience. When I was uh, young in the ministry, kind of just had been in youth ministry for a, a couple of years, I had a situation where there was a, a perfect storm, kind of a, a lot of things hit at once. I was young and didn't have a lot of ministry experience. There were some kind of some strong voices, just a couple of families that were kind of challenging some of the things that were going on in the youth ministry and some of the direction, and I wasn't sure how to deal with that. There was also just, it was kind of hard at home. There was a lot of stress with Whitney and I as we try to care for these two precious children, a toddler and an infant and just trying to figure out how in the world do we maintain our sanity in the midst of that how can I do a better job caring for my wife as she's at home with these kids and I'm doing all these other things I was in full-time ministry then I was also a full-time seminary student I was one semester I was having to get up at three o'clock in the morning and travel to Chicago uh, once a week and spend all day in seminary classes and then drive home and get home after midnight. And that was my day off. That was the one day off I had during the week. And so then I was working lots of hours in the ministry and then lots of hours on seminary at night. And it was just, it was just all that was stressful. And then, then at that moment, just, I kind of started hearing some things, just some, just some rumblings about, people not being very happy with, with my ministry. There were a couple of families who had kind of gotten together and, and were talking about the youth ministry, and it kind of came back to me that people thought I wasn't working very hard in some of the areas they thought I should be. They, they were concerned about um, some of the things the youth, wasn't do, the youth group wasn't doing, and they kind of shared some of those concerns. I, I heard it through the grapevine. I, I got an anonymous card from someone saying, you know, we don't think the youth ministry is going very well. Um, my child's in the youth ministry. I'm not very happy. My child is learning about the Lord, learning about the Bible and how to apply it in their life, but, but not much else. I'm like, well, 
oh man. <laughs> uh, and then there was just some thing, you know, uh, a couple people came up to me and said, we think that, and this was hard, this was really hard, uh, they said, we think that um, the church should not have hired a person in seminary to be the youth pastor. It's not a good use of God's resources. Your attention is divided, and it's not, it's not fair to the church to have a youth pastor who's also in seminary. And that kind of made me feel pretty bad. Like, boy, I don't want to waste God's money. I don't want to be a big drain on the, on the church. And I was struggling with those things. And then, and then people kind of were sharing, you know, again, kind of talking about things that were good things that were going on at other churches. And so someone would say, you know, I, I hear that um, you know, Northwoods is doing this with their youth, and their, their youth pastor is, is doing these things. And, you know, Grace Presbyterian and Riverside, the exciting things are happening there, and I wish exciting things were happening here. And, and it was just very overwhelming. Now, I, I'm convinced. It wasn't, by the way, it wasn't the majority of people, but it was just a couple of voices that were, that were very loud in my ears. And, and I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced if they knew what their, what their communication did to me in terms of how it affected me, how it affected my family and Whitney and my kids, I'm convinced they would have never done some of those things or said some of those things. And I, and I did not handle it well, right? As a, a person... I didn't receive criticism well. I didn't receive instruction well. And it was, it just went very poorly. And in fact, it got, it got to such a low point that I walked into Pastor Rich's office one afternoon. I said, hey, man, I, I can't do this to the church anymore. I'm, I can't do it to my family. I'm, I'm, I'm resigning and I'm turning in my, my resignation. And fortunately, he didn't accept and told me to get back to work. And, you know, <laughs> suck it up, buttercup. And then, uh, you know, Get back, get back to work. I did, and God was very gracious in that. Now that I'm, you know, 15 years or more removed from those circumstances, I, I see things so much more clearly, I think. First of all, just as a, as a dad who has kids in youth ministry, I realized, boy, um, some of those families missed some opportunities. And I hope I say that very graciously. They, they missed some opportunities. It's not that some of their concerns weren't good concerns to have, but the way that they handled the communication, the way that I was hearing things through people being very disgruntled, that was not a healthy way for them to operate. It, it wasn't healthy, I think, in the way in which they, they communicated with me. And, and you know, the, some of the things they told me, they weren't, first of all, they weren't asking questions about how things were going in my life. There wasn't a, a focus on, man, how, what's, what's going on in Daniel's life and how is what I'm saying going to affect him? And, and is, is he in a healthy spot right now? There, there wasn't that kind of attention to, to, to a person in a position of ministry. And then also, uh, there was some undermining of what the elders had, had told me was okay. You know, the elders had said, okay, it's okay for you to go to seminary and here, we understand your schedule. And there was some undermining of what my spiritual shepherds had told me was okay. And, of course, I had areas in which I needed to grow, and I didn't handle critique well, as I already said, and I didn't, I didn't handle the situation the way I should have. Now, all that to say, if I could go back in time and say some things to younger, naive Daniel, whiny Daniel, uh, and if I could say some things to some of the families that I was ministering to, 
what we're talking about this morning it would form a large part of what I would say. I'd say, hey, we have the opportunity here to, to bear burdens together, to look at where a ministry in the church is and talk about how together we can, we can bear these burdens well. Let's share some of these things. Now, the neat thing is I have the opportunity, I can't go back in time, but I have the opportunity today to, to share these things with our church. And as I think about Bethany Community Church, I believe that we are incredibly, incredibly good at bearing burdens together. As I think about my ministry and the ministry of other people and the way in which there are needs in the church, I have a sense that in general we do very well at sensing a responsibility to care for one another. And yet, at the same time, I think all of us could say, yeah, as I think about, as I think about some of these issues, I, I could grow. And hopefully that's what we'll do as we look at this together this morning. We think about burden-bearing, how we do this together, how we share burdens, and how the name of Christ can be exalted as we as a church care for another well. Here's kind of the main idea that I want us to think about together. It's, It's this. As those who are in the family of faith, in other words, all of us are in this family of faith together, as those who are in the family of faith through our union with Christ, we're all part of this church, this family, through our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been united with him. As, as for all of us in this room, that's, that's true of, what do we want to do? We want to joyfully seek ways to build up the body. And we want to be afraid of doing those things that would cause it harm. That's what I hope we see this morning as we look at some, some negative and positive examples from the people who are part of the community of faith we're looking at this morning. So here in context, we ended at Numbers chapter 10, verse 10. As you go through the rest of the book of uh, the chapter of Numbers 10, you see the people beginning to to leave and set out in the ways that were described in Numbers chapters 1 through 4. The tribes are going in an orderly procession. And then we come to chapter 1. And the first thing that I want us to think about this morning as we look at verses 1 through 9 is how to be a burden on the community of faith, okay? What are some characteristics of a person who's a burden on the community of faith? So how do I be a burden on the community of faith? And again, my confidence is that none of us would say, this is what I want to be true of me, but how do I do it? Number one, I complain about my misfortunes. How do you be a burden on the community of faith? You complain about your misfortunes. Look at verse 1. It says, the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. So what's taking place here? The people of Israel, as they set out, they've been in bondage in Israel. I'm sorry, they've been in bondage in Egypt. They have been at Mount Sinai for about a year, and now they're heading to the land that God has promised them. And what is their general disposition as they look at the world around them? They see it as unfortunate. The, the word there can mean evil. They look around them and they say, this is, this is evil. This is another word that's the same words translated later in this passage is, is wretched. This is, this is not good. And they, and they complain. Now, what's wrong with what they're doing there? First of all, it's, it's a wrong perspective socially. It's a very inward focus that these Israelites have. And then it's also wrong theologically. Now, it is certainly true that they are not 
in the promised land yet. It's, it's a fair thing from the look around and say, you know what, this isn't ideal. This isn't the, the circumstances in which we'd like to be. This isn't the place in which we're going to dwell. We're, we're camping. This is a tent. It would be fine for them to say that, but they go, they go further than that. They look around them, and there's this heart of discontentment that says, this is wretched. This is a different perspective theologically than Moses has. If you look at Numbers 10, as the people are traveling, there's this part where Moses is talking to his brother-in-law. This is in verse 29. begins there. He says, look, hey, we're going to the place that God has said he's going to give us. And then he says, come with us, be a part of this, and we're going to do good for you. And listen to Moses' perspective. He says, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. He says, come with us. And he says in verse 32, whatever good the Lord will do for us, we'll let you participate in it. We are the people of numbers, as we talked about before, right? We're the people who have been delivered from bondage and slavery to sin, and we're people who are awaiting the final rest that God has promised. Now, it is not wrong for you to look around you and say, this, this is off, this isn't quite how it's supposed to be yet. But where this becomes wrong is where it becomes a heart that complains about your misfortunes, who doesn't see the good things that God is doing. And if you want to be a burden on the community of faith, become a self-centered person who all you do is complain about how bad things are in your life and in the lives of others. It's a burden, right? It's not a way to lift other people up. It's a way to be a burden on them. Secondly, here's another thing that you can do. View leaders as primarily a resource to be used when needed. Something very interesting takes place. God's discipline happens here on the people of Israel, and there's, there's grace in it. He, the, his judgment consumes part of the outlying parts of the camp, so it's not affecting the center of the camp itself. And what happens when this takes place? What happens when this takes place is what happens throughout the story of the Pentateuch when the people encounter need. It's at that moment they turn to Moses. And they say, Moses, buddy, pal, broski, we need you to take care of something for us. As you go through the Pentateuch, you rarely encounter the people proactively initiating conversation with Moses to say positive things. To say, hey, Moses, um, just had a little bit of time here and wondering, can I help you out with something? Just wanted to, any plagues or anything going on that I can help deal with? No? You good? All right. Just gonna be over here. Let me know if you need anything. That's, that's not how the people interact with Moses. It's, oh man, crisis, Moses, I need you to take care of this. Then when there's not crisis, complain to Moses. Crisis, Moses, help us. There's just this, this attitude towards Moses' leadership. Hey, Moses is a resource to be used when we need him. A person who views other people in the community of faith as people to be used when needed, that person is a burden on the community of faith. Now again, if you are going through a hard time, it is 
absolutely the right thing to do to call upon pastors and Sunday school teachers and care group leaders and other believers say, hey, I am, I'm in a tough spot. I need your help. That is exactly the right thing to do. But to have this attitude that those leaders exist and those Sunday school and care group leaders exist for my benefit and I'm going to use them for this period of time and then not, not care for others after this period of time is over, that is the exact wrong attitude to have. As we receive need, we say, okay, I'm receiving, or as we receive help in time of need, we say, okay, I'm receiving this help, and I'm grateful to God for providing me these people who love me, who are going to care for me, and I'm looking forward to the time when I'm able to meet others' needs, perhaps the very same people who are meeting my needs right now, I'm looking forward to the time that I can care for them later. One pastor told me one time, he said, you know, this is not, this isn't a, this isn't an absolute truth, and I feel bad saying it. He said, but sometimes the reality is the more time I spend with someone caring for them, the more likely they are to tell me, I don't feel like you really care for me. In other words, I give and I give and I give, and that person tells me later, I'm leaving because I don't really feel like you care for me. He says, the person that I just say hi to in the hallway or write a little note to, that person just feels like I am just caring for them like, like no one else. And I, I think it, the difference is a hard attitude, right? I was talking to a, a person who told me uh, they, they go to another church and they said they were leaving. And I said, boy, that, that seems like a mistake to me. As I was talking with them, they, they said that the, the pastor had been involved in, in marrying them. In fact, he had, he had traveled to another location to marry them. He had been involved in uh, you know, the baptism of some of their children. He had helped their family through crisis after crisis, done tons of counseling with them, and, and had had them over into his home on a weekly basis for a period of years. And I said, boy, I don't think you should leave. I mean, that, that guy really cares for you. And they said, yeah, but, but not a lot lately, you know. You know, it's like, boy, I, I think this is a miss, right? I think this is a miss. Now, here's the reality. Um, hurtful, people who are hurting don't realize they're doing this. And so maybe someday soon you're going to be a hurting person. And I, I don't think a person who's hurting sometimes realizes that this is what they're doing. And so the thing for us to do is we seek help from others is to realize, look, I... I'm doing this, and this is, a, a, this is exactly what God would call me to do now, but, but long term, I recognize that, that I'm receiving this help so that I can care for others. A third thing to do if you want to be a burden is, is crave the things the community doesn't have, right? Crave the things the community doesn't have. Verse 4, there's some people who seem to be on the, the uh, who are not part of the Israelites themselves, but then the Israelites join with this, and it says they had a strong craving. And what is the craving? It says that they want meat. We want meat, and then they list all these other foods. We wish we had those things. Is it wrong for this group of people to say, man, a, a nice burger would be nice, <laughs> or whatever else? Are those things bad to desire? No. But, but the word that he uses here is, is craving. 
And there is, a, again, this heart of discontent that fails to appreciate the good things that God has done. And in fact, verses 7 through 9, he describes what God is providing them. And, and what should have been the heart attitude of the Israelites is, look, we've, we've left Egypt and God has promised this land of milk and honey. And it promised us his provision in the midst of that. And right now, God, thank you for what you've done for us. In fact, you think about what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 40, verse 5, a passage that I've been turning to over and over again over the last six months or so, where the, the psalmist says, You've multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. So God, as, as I think about you, you are incredibly gracious to us. And then the, and then the psalmist says, I will proclaim and tell of them. I'll, I'll proclaim and tell of your wonderful deeds. And he says, yet they are more than can be told. It is not wrong to recognize things are not as they will someday be. But where this becomes wrong is when you have this heart that says, I I refuse to be happy with where I am right now because I don't have everything I could possibly have. I crave and I want and I desire and I don't have it. If you want to be a burden on the community of faith, crave the things the community doesn't have and then point them out. (laughs) Yeah, this, this nursery is nice, but I've heard about this other nursery where they have such and such. Or, yeah, the, the preaching's okay, but the jokes could, man, I've heard about this really funny guy that's in another church. Or the worship, you know, they sing some of the songs I like, but there's this song I love that this other church has all, the, I wish we had this, I wish we had that. You know, I wish the youth ministry would do this. Boy, it can just be an incredibly burdensome thing on the people who are serving so faithfully to be a person who's always craving the things the community doesn't have. Imagine if, if my wife, Whitney, were to come to me and she would say, Daniel, um, you're a great guy, <laughs> but man, I've heard about this other husband. That guy doesn't have to YouTube how to change a light bulb. I mean, can you imagine if I had a husband that could really do some things around the house? That would be pretty, I mean, you're okay, you're nice, but man, I've heard about this, this other husband uh, his, their standard of living in their home is, oh, let me tell you about it. Da, 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 da. Oh, that's, that's great, sweetie. Thank you for sharing that with me. It's helpful. Or if the kids said, hey, mom and dad, um, we appreciate what you've done for us, but um, we're going to be leaving the family now. We've heard about a family across the street, and uh, their entertainment center is quite the thing. The rules are better. Um, we, again, thanks for all you've done. We'd love for you to come visit us over there sometime, but um, we're, we're heading out. How, how discouraging would that be? A family doesn't do that. A family says, look, um, we're in this together. Our weaknesses, our strengths, we're, we have an obligation to one another to, to care for one another. Now, if a church isn't fulfilling those basic, most essential things that God has told it to do, then, then of course, that's a different situation. We're talking about cravings here. It's not a healthy way to approach relationship. Another way to be a burden, last two, let me just put these last two up at the same time. Number four, expect others to own perceived problems in the community. Or number five, dampen worship through discontentment, distortion, slander, gossip. The people of Israel are to be a people who are worshiping. And as they focus on the things that God isn't doing or the things that they don't like, they are dampening worship. They are failing to achieve that purpose for which God has created them. They are failing to glorify and worship the name of God. 
And as they focus on the, the wrong things in the community, that, that, that perception distorts what God is doing. Think about, in, in my own ministry at times, sometimes the, the critiques have hurt, not because they aren't true, but because they're missing the things that God is doing and failing for us to worship and glorify and exalt God's name the way we should. Now, we all stumble, right? We all stumble in these areas. I'm grateful to God for how he's helped our church. Hopefully this is just kind of some, some encouragement. So me, one more thing. Uh, here, here's here's a, a second thing here that I think will help us. Here's, here's how to be a burden of, on the community of faith as a leader. Okay. So you're a leader of a care group. You're a pastor. You're a deacon. You are a Sunday school teacher. You're a nursery lead. You're, you're in a position of leadership. How can we be burdens on the community of faith and the positions of leadership that God has placed us? Number one, and we see these in Moses' reaction, number one, we take personal offense at, at attacks, okay? Moses here, is, so the first complaint is in verses one through three, and then the second complaint happens beginning in, in chapter 11, verse four, as the people are complaining about meat, and Moses does not respond well to these attacks. He, he takes them personally. And he lashes out at God here in verse 10 and following. Now, you'd say, well, well, Daniel, how does a person not take personal offense at attacks? I mean, you're try- you're, there you are. You are a servant of the Lord himself. And people have the audacity, the audacity to say mean things about you. How can you not take that personally? And the answer is very simple, right? It's think biblically. Think in a God-centered way. When, when a person says things about me that, that feel like an attack, there, there's a couple things that I keep in mind. One is this. There is a very real chance that I have made a mistake here. <laughs> that happens very frequently. And even if, even if it's not in this circumstance, there's some others that this person may not even know about. I have made mistakes, and so I need to keep that in mind whenever... I'm being attacked. Another thing that helps me not take personal offense when attacked or when I perceive something as an attack is to say, you know what, maybe I don't understand what they're really saying. Maybe they don't even mean this as an attack. Or maybe, um, maybe not only do they not mean it as an attack, maybe what's really happening here is my pride is hurt. I want to be seen as just the, the greatest pastor in all areas, and I'm not, I'm not really being attacked. Really what's happening is my, my pride isn't being fed, and so that's why I'm upset. Or maybe, maybe they really are upset at me in an ungodly way. They, they shouldn't be saying what they're saying. They shouldn't be, you know, when they start talking about my personal appearance, that's kind of really crossing some lines and it hurts, and, you know, maybe they are wrong. Or maybe, another option is, is maybe it's not about whatever they're upset about me at all. Maybe there's something totally different going on in their life, and I just happen to be, by God's sovereignty, the, the guy that's right there at that time when they're ready to blow up, okay? Now, how should I respond? Here's the beautiful thing. No matter, or maybe it's a combination of those, no matter what the case, it is 
always the, the best thing for me to do for the health of the church and the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, it is always the best thing for me to do to be gracious. I, I want other people to show grace to me, and the best way for me to point others to Christ and the best way to preserve this body that I love is to respond with, with, with truth, sure, but also with grace and love and kindness. Why? Because I, I, I love I love this person, and I want good things to happen to me, and I want good things to happen to them, and I want to protect the church. If you want to be a burden on the community of faith, take attacks personally. Secondly, you can, in leadership, view ministry as a burden instead of a, or as a punishment instead of a gift. That's a great way to be a burden on the church. Moses complains here, God, God why have you done this to me? Why have you done this ministry? But what is what does Paul tell Timothy his ministry is? He says, it's a gift. This ministry is a gift. A third thing that I can do in a position of leadership is I can allow others to decide what the demands of ministry are instead of God. Moses here, as he talks to God, says, God, um, you know, did I conceive this people that I have to get them to Egypt? And if I'm God, I'm saying, say, say what? When did that ever become your job? Or Moses says, where am I going to get all this meat? Again, if I'm God, I'm saying, wait, hold on, what? That's not, I never put that job requirement on you. You're, you're taking that on yourself, buddy. If I want to be a burden on the church, then instead of saying, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? I can allow myself or other people to write my job description as opposed to saying, okay, God, what's my job? Okay, my job is to love people, to pray proclaim the word of God, and, and to, to serve selflessly. That's, that's my job. These other things, not my job. If I want to be a burden on the church, I, I assume job responsibilities that, that really aren't mine. What's a, a fourth way to be a burden in a position of leadership? Well, focus on your inadequacies as a leader. Moses here is, is talks about, okay, I, I don't have the ability to give them meat, and I don't have... Well, again... Um, who cares? Moses, throughout his ministry, one of the things that Moses struggles with that I think any, any person in a position of caring for others can struggle with is Moses struggles with, with, with his inadequacies. God, I, don't, I can't speak well. God, they're not going to listen to me. Back at his calling. If you want to be a burden on the church, complain about all the gifts you don't have. Boy, I wish I could speak like that guy. I wish that I had the administrative gifts of, of this person. I wish I had the winsome personality of so-and-so. You know what? Man, what a pain. What a pain on the church to, to complain all the time about the things you don't have as opposed to saying, look, God's given me some gifts. Let me use them to care for you. Related to that, five, you, you feel self-pity. Man, my ministry doesn't get enough attention. People don't appreciate me. I, I have the toughest schedule. I don't have enough vacation. My paycheck is too small. Uh, people aren't paying attention to my ministry the way they should. Yeah, you know what? God promises reward, eternal reward for people who shepherd well and care for others well. We should not be feeling self-pity, right? And then finally, how do you undermine, how do you be a burden in the church? You, you crave power and you undermine other leaders. We didn't read this, this part of the passage, but in Numbers chapter 12, you have this, this interaction with 
Miriam and Aaron, Moses' sister and brother. You know, Aaron has this position as priest, and Miriam has a position as prophetess, and, and they're, they're both in positions of leadership, and they, they oppose Moses and his leadership. And, and you know, what, what a foolish thing to do in a community of faith, to crave power, to want the position of prominence. I think by God's grace, we've really avoided this at, at Bethany. And um, I, I understand that it can happen. And I've heard stories and I've, I've talked to people who've been through these, these power struggles in a church. And I, I have to confess, um, it just seems so bizarre to me, right? Um, it's not your church. And <laughs> if you're... And if you're in a power struggle for some sort of entity that is supposed to be God's, and then and then and then you win, I mean, what is that? Show, what is that showing? You're showing this isn't really a church about God's glory at all. It's it's like imagine if you were invited, you and a friend were invited to a, a, an open house at another friend's house. They just moved into this house, and there's this housewarming party, and you and this friend walk into this other person's house, and you start arguing about where the couch should be, and it gets loud, and, and you start pulling the couch back and forth, and your friend comes in and says, what are you guys doing? We just are, we're just trying to help you with this couch. And, and your, your friend goes, look, this is my house. Why don't you guys get out of here? Making everyone uncomfortable. How absurd. You don't go into someone's house, else's house and tell them how things should be. This is God's house. It's God's body. It's, it's his church. And for there to be power struggles in a church, that's the complete antithesis to what this community is supposed to be all about, right? May God protect us, right? May God protect us. So, positively, how do we bear the burdens of the community of faith? And this is, this is where... I just rejoice in the Lord where he has given us, given us his grace and where I want for us to continue to experience his grace, right? How do I bear the burdens of the other people in this room, the other people who are part of this church? Well, number one, what do we see happen here? Number one, we acknowledge that ministry is overwhelming. As we hear about what a care group leader is struggling with, when we hear about what a Sunday school teacher is struggling with, when we hear about what a mom is struggling with her, with her children, we, we affirm that and we say, you know what, this ministry that you have is, is too much to bear. What happens with Moses is God acknowledges the difficulty of his ministry and he says, look, we're going to get some other people who are going to help share this burden. And number two, you, you proactively look for other servants. Here in this passage, Moses is told to gather, seven, he says, gather for yourself 70 other people and, and look at their qualifications and people have the, who have the ability not just to be involved in the administration of this community that God has called his people to be, but who have the, not just administrative ability, but the spiritual ability to care for each other. Number three, you recognize God's Endless ability and treasure. Verses 17 through 23 are, are somewhat negative. What happens here is the people have said they want meat, and so God says, okay, there's your meat, and it doesn't go well. And it says it's going to be so much, it's going to come out your nostrils and become loathsome to you because you've rejected the Lord who's among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? But what a person needs to do when we find ourselves in difficult situations, and the way we respond in such a way that 
bears each other's burdens is number one, we say, look, I, I know that God has the ability to give me anything he desires. Number two, I know that he loves me and wants good things for me. Number three, what I have right now is what a loving God who is all-powerful has given me. In other words, the things I have right now are, are what he desires me to have, and I can, I'm going to find contentment in those things. If you want to bear one another's burdens, number four, we seize opportunities to care for others. We seize opportunities to care for others. These 70 other leaders receive what Moses has said, and, they, and they, most of them go, and they, they come around the tent where Moses has told them together. They, they seize the opportunity here to care for others. Within a church, we have the, we have the, the sacred obligation to, to care for one another. At our elder meeting recently, this, this last week, the, the question came up. They said, well, how many, how many elders do you think a church should have? How many elders should our, our church have? And we didn't really talk much about the answer, but as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, um, we have so many people in this church who are involved in, in shepherding and, and, and caring for others. And yeah, there are some men that we've, we've given that, that title of elder to, but there are so many people who are involved in, in shepherding that in some ways, in some ways, even though I think it's important to officially have elders, in, in some ways, God has blessed our church with, with people who are functioning in that capacity without the title in many ways. That's what we want to see. We want to see opportunities to care for others and seize those. Number five, we rely on the equipping of the Spirit. Verse 25, it says, The Lord comes down in a cloud. He, he speaks to Moses, and he took some of the Spirit that was on him, and, and he put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. And so there's this, there's this recognition that the Spirit of God doesn't just rest upon Moses, but other people have the ability to engage in ministry. And the way that they engage in that ministry is through the equipping of the Spirit. In a church that's going to be healthy, there's been a, rec a recognition that other people have this ability to care for others and do the work of ministry. Number six, we release the ministry to the Lord. We release the ministry to the Lord. I love this interaction that takes place between, I think it's, it's probably two young men here, not just Joshua, but two young men and Moses. And what happens is Moses has told, has told these 70 guys to go to this place, and that's where the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest on them. And what happens is two guys don't go to that location that Moses had told them to be. So here's, in this location, it's kind of, here's Moses as the head, and now there's these 68 guys, and, and it seems like their ministry, because they're doing what Moses has told them to do, it, it seems like an extension of Moses' ministry. Now, what these people in the camp are worried about, these, these two young men are worried about, is that because these other two guys who'd been part of the 70 but hadn't gone where everyone else had gone, they're kind of over here in the camp, the, the concern was it's going to look like, like they're opposed to Moses and Moses isn't going to get the, the credit for the ministry that they do. And these, these two young guys are worried about that. But what does Moses do? He says, you know what? Man, it's... It's okay. Are, are, are you jealous for my sake? Man, don't, don't be. I wish that everybody was like this. That's the attitude of someone who's released the ministry of the Lord. Related to that, number seven, 
what do we see? You, you practice humility as you decrease. As you recognize that other people need to be cared for by, by more people than you, that you don't have the ability to, to do these things on your own, you, you release the ministries that God has given you, and you practice humility as, as you serve others. I think one of the greatest challenges for leaders is that there's going to be temptation on the part of leaders to, to stop the work that God does in other people's lives that doesn't originate with you. Does that make sense? One of the temptations that a leader is going, is going to face is whenever you have this program, you have this ministry, and then you see God doing something over here in the body of faith, and you say, well, that's not what I said. This, I, had this, I had a PowerPoint presentation about how this was supposed to look, and it's looking differently. One of the greatest temptations is to say, you know what? That's great. That's God at work. And then what we, we do, we rejoice as others serve. As we think about other people engaged in ministry and caring for one another, we rejoice in that and we support and we say, this is what we want the church to look like. By God's grace, I believe that we have a church that, that desperately wants to glorify God. And we want to glorify God and we want to see God glorified as the name of Jesus is exalted. And we recognize the name of Jesus cannot be exalted if we aren't caring for one another. We recognize that we enter into a relationship with God, not on the basis of our works, but through faith in his son Jesus. And as we enter into a relationship with God through faith in his son Jesus, we become a part of one body. As we become a part of this, this one body, we recognize we have this, this obligation, this divine obligation to care for one another because we're all part of this, this, same, this same body, the same community, the same church, the same work of God. By God's grace, by God's grace, we say, look, I want to seek joyfully the ways to build up the body, and I'm afraid of doing those things that might harm others, that might cause me to be a burden upon them. I grow in this on my faith in the Lord Jesus, by the grace of God working within me. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us, and thank you for the ability we have through our faith in your son Jesus to walk with you. And we pray this in his name. Amen.